you know what? Baseball players have like walk-up music. Like wrestlers and MMA people, like they have their music. They come in before they crush someone. Like pastors need preach-up music. I'm not kidding. I'm like, give me some preach-up music. And so that's what we got. I was really, I'm excited about that. So maybe I'm the only one. Um, but you're like, now how long is this message going to be if you got your preach-up music? I don't know. We'll see. We'll see how it goes. Um, no, hey, we're going to be in Second Corinthians, as John was saying. I'm very excited about this power and weakness because it's a paradox. It's saying, hey, in order to be strong, we have to be weak. And in our weakness, God is strong. And so if you have your Bibles, you have your phones, turn to 2 Corinthians. It's right after 1 Corinthians. Keep those letters uh, together. Um, but it gives, it's, in the, it's in the back part of your Bible. If you've got your phone, uh, maybe you're on the app. I know a lot of us are using the app because the, the message notes that exist there, you can... You can write them out, and you can put them in there, and you can print them out, and it serves as a great resource. Additionally, any messages, so when we studied through 1 Corinthians last year, those are all on the app, and so you can check those out. You can go back a couple of years if you want to watch or listen to anything or share something or revisit uh, something. If you want something from longer than three or four years ago, you have to go on our Vimeo. We've got a Vimeo out there. I don't, I, I had a little bit more hair. Um, I didn't have a beard. My voice hasn't changed. And I don't know where I got my clothes, okay? Because as a church planner, I had no money. Um, but I don't know why I was wearing some of those things. Um, but it's kind of entertaining if you ever want to check that out. Um, but on the app, at the very bottom, there's some different kind of pages or tabs that also uh, reflect our family ministries page. And so what we're doing is we're putting resources out there. We as a church, it's, we don't take on the responsibility of raising kids spiritually, but what we want to do is raise parents, partner and equip parents to raise their love and lead their children in the Lord. And so there's an app that's not just like our kids and our kids ministry. It's actually Anchor and Slingshot. There's some resource there for you as well. So enjoy that. Uh, take advantage of it, and we'll jump right in today. So this power in weakness, the Second Corinthians, it's a, it's the second letter that Paul writes to this church, and um, actually, it's it's the fourth letter, and and I'll get to that in a minute. But in the in this letter are some of the most quoted, maybe familiar for those of you who know the Bible, or or maybe you've been around church a little bit. But I'll just tell you, even if you're un, if you don't attend church or you're kind of new to to faith. Um, these are some common statements that are said um, by pastors like me, okay? We say stuff like uh, chapter 3, verse 17 says, Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. There's actually a couple of songs written from that phrase, you know, Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom, there is freedom. Um, that's how it goes. Maybe you heard it differently, and maybe no one ever did this before. I just, I did that. I didn't do it at the last two services, and I'm not going to do it the next one. I might, I'll, I'll put... I'll get a new move in the meantime. Um, but this, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. There's freedom. It doesn't repeat itself, but the song does. Chapter 4, treasures in jars of clay. And that's another, maybe you've heard of we're to be moldable clay or we are treasures in jars of clay. Or you've heard of the band Jars of Clay. That means you're maybe older and uh, you've been a Christian a while, okay? But most people don't maybe know who those people are. Um, chapter 5. Absent in the body is to be present with the Lord. That means upon living this life in the body that we, we live, we will be present with the Lord. Our, our soul goes into eternity as followers of Jesus. Also in chapter 5, that's where we get our baptism shirt. So when you see the old is gone, the new has come, that's from chapter 5, verse 17. The old is gone, the new has come. Don't be unequally yoked. Chapter 6, 
That's going to be an interesting message, and we'll probably have Scott or John do that, and I'll take the week off. Um, Chapter 9, if you sow sparingly, you will reap sparingly, talking about the investment we're to make with our life. Also, chapter 9, God loves a cheerful giver, that we need to celebrate and be joyful about the gifts that we give back, the talent that we give back, the finances, the things that we give back to God. Let's be joyful in that. In chapter 10, taking our thoughts captive, meaning when those voices in your head, you know it's not truth. We have to take the thought captive under the power of God, take it captive for Christ. So this is a very rich book. And the, the theme verse that we get from this power and weakness theme uh, comes in chapter 12 verse 9 it says but he said to me my grace is sufficient for you for my powers made perfect in weakness therefore i will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of christ may rest in me it's saying you're not that big of a deal but god is okay i know we've all been raised differently doggone it people like you and you can go and get them and and you're horrible at drawing, but I'm going to hang it on my fridge anyways. Like, we've been taught that from day one. Now, do we need to be encouraging? Are we created in Christ Jesus? Absolutely. But at the core, we need to have this position in our life of humility, knowing that we, we are weak, and the only thing strong in us is the life and the light of Jesus Christ. And the good things that we have in this life and that we've been created by a creator, it comes from God. It's been passed down to us. And the weaker we are, the stronger that he is. And this is the paradox that we're going to be hearing over and over and talking through over the next many weeks. As I was saying, there were four different letters written to this church in Corinth. Okay? Paul wrote four. The first one was not placed in the Bible. There were certain letters. Not every letter that Paul wrote is in the Bible. There was a process they went through to canonize Scripture. And the first letter was not put in, but the second letter was, and that's called 1 Corinthians. Can it get any more confusing, right? And the third letter was a big old spanking. I said third letter. Third letter was a big old spanking. They were acting out, and he was really correcting them. That's not in the Bible, but I want to read it. You know, I want to see what he had to say. And then the fourth letter, which is actually 2 Corinthians, the second letter to the church in Corinth is the fourth letter, okay? And so that's kind of how this uh, process is going. And the reason he's writing now this fourth or second letter, whatever we would like to call it, we'll call it second to keep it clear. The reason he's writing it is because they're wanting to not have Paul have any authority over them. Remember, Paul started this church. Paul has encouraged these people. He's discipled this group of people. And now they're saying, you don't have any authority over us. In fact... The reason you don't charge for your ministry, Paul, is because no one will pay you for your ministry. They're saying that. This, I mean, these are the words of Scripture we're going to read in just a minute. That's like the lowest of all blows, okay? That's like a low, low, low blow. Like that's telling a teacher, you know what? The reason nobody pays you for teaching is because nobody wants you to teach them. That's like telling a coach, the reason you're a volunteer is because nobody would actually pay you money. And that, I volunteered coaching for a long time. Maybe that had to do with my coaching that no one paid me. But... That isn't, and you tell a pastor, a guy, this dude who is doing business on the side as a tent maker, and he's living on very minimal things, and when he comes, it's like, give me a place to stay and feed me and give me enough for the journey, and I'll trust God for what he provides there. And in a little bit, we'll read all the trials and tribulations he went through. They knew Paul. So them saying this didn't have to do with what he was preaching. It had to do with they didn't want to honor him, and they didn't want to curb or turn their behavior. Because Paul was living 
this incredibly godly life, and they were feeling guilty for how they were living. So they thought, if we remove the authority he has of us, and we just say, hey, the reasons no one's paying for your ministry is because it's not worth nothing, then it will exclude us from having to listen. He's like, oh, you can't stop me from writing a letter. I'm writing a letter. Maybe you'll turn. And what we see in uh, 2 Corinthians is we actually see into the life of Paul. See, 1 Corinthians We get to see into the problems that existed in the church. And in the second letter, we get to look into the personal life of Paul. In 1 Corinthians, it's more correcting the church to be more useful for God because it wasn't being as useful as it could be. And in the second letter, it's Paul saying, the only reason I'm even useful is because of God. So it's about use, it's about value, it's about availability. And so we get to look into the personal life and who Paul was. And in this letter... We find out more about him than almost all the other letters that he wrote. And there's quite a few of them that he wrote to churches that are in in Scripture. And the main question that he's answering is, how do you serve Christ through difficulties? In our language, as John said, love and lead, is how do we love and lead when we're depleted? How do we love and lead when we are depleted? When we're exhausted, when we're tired, when we're overwhelmed, when we're under-encouraged? How do we continue pressing on? Because in verse number 8 of this chapter 1, Paul says, I thought I was going to die. Like, it's so difficult following and serving God and continuing to go city to city when I'm treated as such. All of the persecution that he faced, and he's saying, how can I continue to do this when I feel like my life is about to be taken from me? And you may find yourself in this same place of your life where you've looked at your life and you go, why is this happening to me? We just got out of this trial or circumstance, and now there's this one. And we know that God takes us through trials, not around it. I've probably said that a dozen times since we started the church. God takes us through a trial, not around it. So when we look at our life, it's like, I just got out of one, and it's already back. Or that one, I thought we were making it through. I thought the marriage was getting better. I thought the you fill in the blank, right? And maybe for you, some of the trial that you're in has to do with your health or a diagnosis that you've been given where it's come as a surprise to you. And others, it might be a relationship. Because I see the communication cards that come in as people write prayer requests, and we as a staff team and our prayer team and as elders, we pray over these each and every week. And I scroll through and I read that. I scroll or I scroll depending on what device I'm on, you know. You know, and I'm looking at it and I'm seeing in some of you, it's not one week, it's ten weeks. And I've seen some for years in a row praying about the same relationship that you're asking God to heal. And some are praying for healing in a marriage and asking God to come in. God, please enter in. For some, your suffering or your struggle is finances. And it's such a weight that's on you. It's not just like, hey, I wish we had some money so we could go do this thing. It's more like, we don't know if we're going to make it. Like, we don't know where the next whatever it is is going to come from. And we're really trusting God, but we're at our wits end and we, we, we have nothing else. And maybe for you, it could be just life in general. There's a lot of things happening. And maybe like Paul, you're going, man, I'm in such despair right now. Paul actually uses these words when he talks about trials. He says afflictions, sufferings, burdens, sentence of death, despairing for life, and deadly peril. I've even watched in this room, I can't see into the hub, 
but I am watching in this room, and I'm watching the countenance of many of you, your face has changed. I've watched people literally wipe tears from their eyes because when I'm talking about suffering, you are living out some suffering. And I've asked this question before, how many of you are suffering and how many of you are struggling? And I've seen people raise their hand that they're suffering, and then when I rephrase it and I define suffering as Paul, you would say, I'm more of a struggle. But regardless, there's a trial, there's pain, there's a circumstance that you're wondering, how am I going to get through this, and why does it even matter? I want to quit. And as heavy as this feels right now on us, because we're really looking at real things in our life, real diagnoses, real situation, real unknown in relationships. It's okay for us to go there and to personally process what am I going through. Not like, hey, let's play that clappy song, let's all clap together and let's get that coffee. Now we can't bring it in the auditorium, but let's get it. Um, And let's just like, you know, high five each other and say hi to a few people. Let's go out about our business and hit the 40 inches of fresh powder and pretend that our life is not a wreck. No, this is to be a place where we can have a conversation. This is to be a place where we can share. And this is a place, and we'll get there, that we can find comfort. So I want to pray before we go any further, and I'll tell you that we're going to find comfort through Scripture today. God, we need you right now. I know that I need comforted. I know that there are many people in this room right now that what they're dealing with is more than they could personally handle. And maybe they feel like there are people around them, but not knowing whom they can share things with. Maybe trust is a challenge. Maybe for them, it just seems like it's been one thing after another, and it's one more burden to be asking. God, I pray that today we would recognize through Scripture, we'd hear through your word, and we'd sense and know your Holy Spirit at work in us bringing healing to this room bringing healing to those who are watching online, bringing healing to those at another venue, that we could have your hope and your comfort today. We know that you can. We know that you can heal. And we call on your name, the only name that can heal, the name of Jesus. Amen. Verse number one of chapter one, it says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and Timothy, our brother, to the church of God that's in Corinth, and the saints who are in the whole or or in the whole of Achaia, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, the God of all comfort. Wow, when I read that, I'm thinking, okay, grace, there's a group of people that he's not giving shout-outs to. He's praying that God's grace and peace would be over them. The only peace, the only mercy that comes, it comes from God. So God the Father, our Lord Jesus Christ, is praiseworthy. So just in your notes there, the first thing is praiseworthy. Every one of those, those statements begin with the same exact thing. God, our Father, Lord Jesus Christ. He's a couple of things. He's praiseworthy. He is our praise. He is our praise. For he brings comfort. He brings strength. He shows his power to us. You know what he is? He's Emmanuel. He's God with us. He's not... Emmanuel, God above us. Emmanuel, God beside us. Emmanuel, God with us in the past. Emmanuel, God with us in the future. Because we think about heaven. Many of us are like, oh, there's going to be a day. 
There's going to be a day that I'm, it's all going to, all the problems and questions I have, it's going to be cleared up when I die. When I go to heaven, when I figure it out, when my good outweighs my bad, like I'll figure it out then, I'll understand how good God is. No, like God is worthy of our praise now. He's worthy of awe, like wonder, and his majesty is worthy of, of everything we have now. He's given us everything now in this moment to have peace and to have comfort, and he's worthy of our praise. He's omnipresent, God with us, God in this life with us in the moment right now. It goes on to say, who comforts us in all of our affliction. There he goes, affliction, our trials, our suffering, our circumstance. For God, the Father and Lord Jesus Christ, he is our comfort. That word comfort is mentioned like seven times in the next like three or four verses. Paul's a good pastor. What he do, what's he do? He repeats himself. He says the same thing over and over and over again. That word comfort is from the Greek word, Greek word parakletos, which means, not kletos, you know, it's like, it's parakletos, which means a helper. It's an encouragement. It's calling to one's aid. It's some, it's a, it's a console to us. Consoles us, encourages us. It's, I love this that I got from uh, a uh, concordance. It says, a holy urging by one close beside. That's good. It doesn't say a holy urging by one who's over us. It says beside us. That's that's paraclete, this helper. The Holy Spirit is this helper to us. Jesus came with us. Emmanuel, God with us. He's in it with us. So every time you see comfort, comfort, you say a holy urging. When you and I are to comfort other people, we're to be a holy urging of someone close beside. This is a responsibility and a privilege that we have in the body of Jesus Christ. And, And here's the crazy thing. Like when I navigate life, and I come in here some Sundays that I feel really weak. I feel weak. I come in by, by setup team. I start having conversations. 8, 15 people start getting here. I just get energy. I feel like I, get, I, I come in weak, but the exponential of the comfort and the encouragement and the love and the energy, it comes from you. I'm not saying I'm living off the energy of other people. No, it's Christ alive in you. It's Christ alive in you. You may not realize what you're doing in those comments or those conversations that you're having with people outside of sitting in rows. No, it's the circles and the conversations in the lobby where you're bringing this edification. You're this holy, it's hard to think of yourself like that, but you're a holy urging for people, for one who is close beside you. He's a comfort to us. Psalm says it this way. He's near to the brokenhearted. He's beside those who are crushed in their spirit. He walks with you through it. C.S. Lewis says it it this way. God whispers to us in our pleasures. He speaks in our conscience, but shouts in our pains. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. I was hoping a kid would cry when I got to pain. The first service, it happened. It was a God moment. I told that family, if they love God, they'll be at all four services. They don't. They just gather. They don't scatter or matter, um, in my opinion. I'm not trying to judge them. Um, but that kid cried right in pain. I was like, yes! And we tried it again, and it didn't work. And Dad was even pinching him, and he was just laughing. But, but think about it this way. You know why there's a whisper in our pleasures? Because our ears aren't attentive, because we're finding pleasure. Like our eyes and our hearts and our ears are fixed on things that are maybe good, not, not pleasures or not, like, horrible earthly pleasures are but we can find pleasure and peace then when it says he speaks 
in our conscience. A little bit louder, right? And then we hear in our pain, it's loud. It's a shout. It's a megaphone to a deaf world. That through your pain, through your suffering, through the hard times, you're speaking louder than you probably ever will in any other capacity in your life. Don't wait for a stage. Don't wait for a situation that's going to give you this leverage or your leadership to get you to a place. No, like live it out. People will hear more in the times of pain and struggle that we go through. And what if? What if God allows a pain? I can tell you where pain comes from. It comes from sin. It doesn't mean if you're going through a trial, you have sinned either. We'll get to that. But what it does mean is as you've encountered some pain, what if God allowed that pain or that suffering or that trial or that experience so that he can comfort you? See, when we get to the point that we realize that he's all we have, then we recognize he's all I need. He's all I have. Well, guess what? You just found out the purpose and the point of this life. He's really all that you need. And he longs for that relationship with you. And we listen in our pain. But with much loving and leading comes suffering. When you love God and you love other people, you will encounter hard times. When you lead out and you make a sacrifice and and you live different, you live with like a radical abandonment for God, you're going to face challenge. If you keep living for yourself, you're not going to get a lot of temptation because you're living for yourself. You're, you're finding that temptation. You're finding those situations because you're living for yourself. But when you live for God, that's when those arrows come in. It tries to get you, as you're turned towards God and away from evil, it will come at your back. And that's why we need the comfort and the protection of God and other people in our life. Verse 4, it goes in and talks about comfort, that we might maybe comfort we go through a hard time so we can comfort other people. So that we may be able to comfort those who are in, are in any affliction with the comfort of which we ourselves are comforted by God. For we share abundantly in Christ's suffering so that through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. If we're afflicted, it, it is for your comfort and salvation. And if we are comforted, it's for your comfort, which is which you experience when you patiently, why did he have to put that word? That, like, brings everyone to the point of guilt, like, I wish I was more patient. I mean, maybe there's some of you that got that figured out, but I'll wait to see you in the parking lot afterwards. Not for a fight, but to watch how you drive. Um, and it says, patiently endure. Like, awesome, fruit of the Spirit, patience. It's great. Um, the same suffering that we suffer for our hope is for you. It's unshaken. For we know that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. See, you and I, we cannot give what we do not have. We cannot give what we do not have. And the trial, the experience that you've had, it can serve as someone else's promise of hope. The trial that you've been through, the experience you've had, the suffering you've been through, you know, it can serve as someone else's promise of hope. It can bring an encouragement to them. You've encountered something like that. You've went through a difficult time, and you've shared, and they're going, hey, if they have, then maybe I can. If they made it, I can make it. Hey, they're praying for me. They know what it's like. I'm hearing their words differently than someone that cares rather than someone that cares and has been through it as well. 
It was about 15 years ago. My wife was pregnant with twins. We had a 16-month-old daughter, and um, we were at Babies R Us, and we were just getting ready to possibly have babies in about six weeks or so. And we're at Babies R Us, and which isn't even in business. We put it out of business. Um, but we were there, and um, it was the grand opening. And I, I think I made it like eight minutes, and then my legs got tired. I'm like, eh, you know, I should probably take Kiki home. She seems like she's getting tired. Um, and like, my wife's like, you're tired. Like, it's funny, like, Keith, you can play basketball for eight hours straight, but you get into a store, and all of a sudden your body, like, loses form and function after eight minutes. Is any other dudes, like, with me? Yes, except for Cabela's, you know, or, or like, you know, like, Dick's Sporting Goods, when you're, you're buying for yourself, not your kids. I, I'm done in eight minutes there, too. Um, but, yeah, I, and so I'm like, she's like, okay, I'll just take you home and come back. So she takes us home. She goes back, and guess what? Her water breaks while she's there. Yeah, awesome. I'm get Dad of the Year, Husband of the Year award. I missed the whole explosion and everything. I'm like, dang it, that would have been awesome. Because our first kid didn't, like, no water broke. Like, we went in a week later, like, dude, she don't want out. And they're like, we'll get her. You know, it was that kind of a thing. And then the boys come, and it's like, hello. We're like, oh, we weren't ready for you. And we're still saying that to this day. But I'm in the garage. I don't know this. I'm in the garage. She tried to call me because I was doing what men do. We, I was deep frying shrimp with my daughter in the garage. It was a great idea. You don't want to do that in the house. But... A neighbor runs down and goes, Chrisanna's water broke. And I'm like, what? I'm like, boom, boom, boom. I'm like, I left my daughter, went inside, and I'm packing. I'm going to get stuff. And I'm glad that she grabbed her. But I ran inside. I got Pop-Tarts, Funyuns, like really important stuff, you know. We're like, I'm like grabbing things. Chrisanna gets home. She's as cool as a cucumber. And I'm like, hon, your pants are wet. Get in the car. We have got to go. We have got to get out of here. And she's like, no, no it's okay, it's okay. And I'm like, this is my moment. Like, I can drive as fast as I want. And we were going to St. Luke's. We are on Chinon, off Chinon and Eagle. We were going to St. Luke's downtown, which is awesome because if it was St. Luke's Meridian, it's Eagle Road. And you drive like that every day anyways. But this is Chinon. And I'm like, ah, middle lane, ah, this is my moment, you know. Super excited we get there. The boys were born, four pounds, four ounces, four pounds, seven ounces, six weeks early. And they're like, you're going to be here a little while. Um, one of them had a bradycardia. You would think that was brady. Nope, that's Jake because twins are confusing. They look the same and everything's wrong, okay? And then they're like, Jake, you know, it's like, hey, Brady, have a birthmark. Brady birthmark. Nope, nope, it's Jake birthmark because that would be too simple if it was B&B, right? And so we're trying to get these kids figured out. They're both in incubators right next to each other. And we're just praying and asking God, you know, we're getting good reports, but we're nervous. And then they got sick and then we're going to be there longer and then it wasn't good. And then one day we went home for just a couple of hours to get a shower. And we get a phone call. You need to get up here immediately. And we walk into them breathing for one of our sons. And as a dad, I was not prepared. And we stood outside that room with 14 people working on them. I mean, there were things going off. They, had, they were breathing. They were doing all this. And we're like, Lord, this is your boy. And you're going to have to save him. And prayerfully... Within 15 minutes, he was doing okay, lots of attention, but he was doing better. Then he got sick. And then we were in the NICU longer, and then we had to wear gowns. But there came this point, and the NICU is pretty big, and we moved a room, and all of a sudden there was a rocking chair in our room. And I looked over at it, and we used it multiple times, and all of a sudden I noticed there was a gold plate on the back part of it. And I read that gold plate, and it said something like, God is faithful, and we are praying for you. It said, Rob and Debbie Steen. That name doesn't mean a lot to most people that brought kids in and out of there. You remember how I told you a lady ran down the street to get me and tell me my water's broke? That's Debbie Steen. 
Her husband's Rob. Today they're at church at the hub. They had a boy that was born two pounds, nine ounces. They had a girl that was born three pounds, seven ounces. They spent months in a NICU. They bought a rocking chair because there was no chair, and then they thought, we better leave it because other people are going to need it. Let's put a plaque, be the light of Christ to them, not knowing that 15 years later we were going to walk into that same hospital and be given that encouragement. And last year there was a preemie born in this church that weighed one pound, ten ounces. Her name's Zoe. And she was fighting for her life, and I've never held something so small. And the Millers were in a community group with the Hamiltons. And they came around that family and brought encouragement to them. And that community group happened to have a couple by the name of Rob and Debbie Steen that randomly, by God's grace, had them in that group. See, your experience in your trial is someone else's promise of hope. Because you can say, I've been there. And I just want to say something real quick. We're talking about babies who made it through on the other side. And some of you are going, my baby did not make it through the other side. And some of you are saying, my husband did not make it through this situation. And you're saying that my marriage didn't make it through. I want you to know that even in that experience or loss or trial, God wants to use that and redeem it. And you have a privilege of being a comfort. And right now you may not feel like you can be comforting, but there's going to come a time. And Paul is saying, if you would lift your eyes from the trial, as hard as it is, and move it to trust of what could God do. So you know what suffering and hard times are? They're prerequisites. It's a prerequisite that qualifies your leadership. It's a prerequisite that qualifies how you're going to lead and who you're going to lead. And the way that you're going to love people to understanding the faithfulness of God. And Paul had gone through everything. That passage actually talks about this hope, this unshakable hope. It's a hidden hope. See, God the Father, our Lord Jesus Christ, is our unshakable hope. My hope is not in my circumstance. My hope is not in what I can provide. My hope is not in the things that I can organize. No, my hope is in Jesus. He is my unshakable hope. And what if God allows a circumstance or a situation to come in your life so that you can bring a comfort to someone else? His grace is sufficient for us. It says in verse 8, For we do not want you to be unaware of the brothers and the afflictions that we experienced in Asia, for we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired for life itself. We were so burdened we didn't know we were going to live. And Paul is saying, why? So we ask the question, why do bad things happen to good people? Guess what? Bad things happen to godly people too. Paul was a godly man. But he knew where his power came from. It came in weakness. Things he couldn't do. In fact, a little bit later in this letter, he describes some of the challenges that he'd been through. Remember, they're trying to disqualify his ministry, and he's saying, this is for the Lord, because listen to what I've encountered. 
You think you have it rough? This is what I've encountered. You need to hear these things. For Paul received five times at the hands of the Jews, 40 lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and day I was adrift at sea. On frequent journeys in danger of rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and in hardship, through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, and often without food, and in cold and exposure, and apart from other things, there is the daily pressure of me for my anxiety for all of the churches. All of those things, and on top of it, I worry about all the churches that I've planted and all the people that I've done life with, and where are they at and how are they doing. I'm incredibly concerned. I have anxiety for that on top of the physical, spiritual attacks that I've encountered. Can you imagine his back? Can you imagine his body? Can you imagine his face? Historians say that you could barely look at his face. It was unbearable. Yet he pressed on. And what did those church people want to do whatever they wanted to do, say to him? There's a reason people don't pay for your ministry because your ministry isn't worth paying for. And guess what? When you love and lead and when you suffer, there are going to be people that say the same thing about you. They'll try to discredit you. And it'll make you weak. But inside there will be a strength that doesn't come from your pride, doesn't come from anything that you are on your own. It comes from someone greater than you. God, who's given us His only Son and His Holy Spirit that brings a comfort to us. His Holy Spirit that brings a hope to us. Some of the most difficult times in my life that I've faced have been at points of weakness. See, the presence of a trial in our life is not a sign of God's rejection, but rather God's direction. The presence of a trial in your life is not like judgment for sin. It might simply be God directing you in a different way. You know how many times when he was shipwrecked or he was beaten that he's like, I need to go this way. Persecution pushed him different ways. And the greatest gift Paul had was not his preaching, his teaching, his writing, all of that, it was his availability. I want to be useful for God. I'm available wherever you would take me, God. I remember in my life, I served at a church for 13 years. A really good church that I really enjoyed. And God was calling me, not as a sign of rejection, but God was calling me, sending me a sign, not because of sin, sending me a sign... I have something different for you. But you know what we want? We want a comfortable life. But God wants you to bring you comfort in your life. We want a comfortable life, but God wants to be your comfort in life. And I remember stepping out from a good, healthy church to a church that didn't even exist. There was a song, Never Once Will You Ever Walk Alone, and I played it on repeat over and over. And I cried, I wept, I fought God. 
I fought trying to figure out what are you trying to do in me. And God stirred up in a way that I couldn't have ever imagined. But it was a megaphone in my life, and his voice was very loud because I was actually listening. You know what one of my favorite verses is? It's a blessed are those that live a comfortable life. Oh, wait, that's not in the Bible. Blessed are those who don't have struggles. You know what Jesus said? Blessed are those who are poor. Blessed are those who are meek. Blessed are those who are hungry. Those who thirst. Blessed are those who are persecuted. Blessed are those who mourn. Not blessed are those who bless themselves because they bless others and God wants to bless those that bless others. No, that's not in the Bible. We say junk like that because it makes us feel better about ourselves. The Bible says be weak, for in that I'll be strong. Be poor, for I will make you rich. Riches this world cannot touch. And Paul found it. It brought him a whole nother level of hope. And you and I, we're never going to know the full power of God until we find ourselves in full weakness. Until we get to that point of full weakness, we'll never see the full power of God. Verse number 10 and 11. He delivered us from such deadly peril, and he will deliver us. On him we've set our hope that he will deliver us again. You also must help us by prayer so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted us through the prayers of many. God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, is our deliverer. It says it three times. He's our deliverer. And he does so by prayer so that many would know. The trials you encounter is for you to bring comfort. And for you to be comforted. There's nothing like a parent when your kid comes to you and you get to hug them and bring that comfort to them. You know they're not going to the ER. You know they just bumped themselves a little bit. But there's something that you get to love them and you're going, bro, you ain't hurt. Sis, you're not hurt. But I get to be that for you. And God wants to be a comfort to us in our trial. So we fully rely on him. And the last two blanks on your notes are God can. God can. God can heal your life. God can heal your heart. God can restore you. God can bring you through a trial that you never thought you would be able to make it through. God can deliver you. God can answer our prayers. God, we come before you knowing that you hold all things in your hands. You are sovereign. You are good. You are faithful. Even when we're faithless. God, for those today, their point of surrender is to let you be the Lord of their life, to surrender their heart to you. God, you can heal them. You can save them. Those of us that have scaled back our loving and leading because some suffering has come in, those of us in a trial, God, you can direct us through a trial. You can bring us to a whole new place because you are faithful, you are good, you deliver God, we believe that you can. We ask this in the name, above every name, and the only name that we can ask this, the name of Jesus. Amen.